0: If you turn to John chapter 13, remember what Jesus has just done, and it's important, again, context is always king in almost every circumstance and situation, um, and very much, especially with the Gospels, where you're dealing with long narratives where Jesus is saying something. He's not saying it in a vacuum. In this case, he's following up what he just got done doing, which if you remember, if you were with us last week, Jesus took off his clothes, girded himself at the waist. He he began to wash the disciples' feet. He's scrubbing the grime off of their feet. He takes the lowliest position that he can possibly take. He does the unthinkable, the king of heaven, The Lord of heaven and earth, the creator God of the universe, has washed the disciples' feet. And so it is from there that we pick up what Jesus is going to say next. And so as you think of that, just like is true with all knowledge, uh, no, no matter what kind of knowledge it is, if you were here today and you happen to be someone who has studied brain surgery Uh, it, It doesn't do you a bit of good to study brain surgery and then to never become a brain surgeon, amen? It's just useless knowledge up there at that point. And so Jesus is now going to transition between this incredible selfless act that he speaks into their lives about their own hearts and the conditions of their hearts. He is going to transition into, okay, now guys, I want you to do it. And so would you pray with me? We'll pick up in verse 12 in John 13, and we'll take down to verse 17 today. Father, again, we thank you for this incredible picture of selfless love. Lord, love that's born out in action. And I pray today for anyone who's come in through these doors, Lord, and they need a touch from you. God, that their, their feet would be washed, even realistically, Lord, if that needs to happen. God, I I pray that you would wash all of us by the washing of the water of the spirit and the word that we're about to read. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 12, John 13. And so when he had washed their feet, so looking back at what we saw in our last study, and taken his garments, and he's put those back on, so he went from having a towel around his waist, basically uh, nearly unclothed, he puts his clothes back on. He sits down again back at the table. Remember, they're reclining at the, the triclinium, this three-sided table with the opening towards the door. And Judas is still seated. Judas has now left. And, and, so, and he said to them, speaking directly to the disciples, he asked them a question. He says, do you know what I have done for you? You can almost imagine him going around the table, going, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, do you know what it is that I just did? Do you understand the implications of what I just did? Do you know why I did what I did? Do you know what it represents? Do you get what it was that just happened? You see, you have to personalize this and bring it back down to the discipleship level to where you're sitting with the disciples at the table and Jesus is speaking to you. Anytime you see the word disciples in Scripture, it's a good place to insert your name. Because if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, that's actually what the word disciple means. It means follower. It means one who's taught by another. It's someone who, as Jesus is about to say, is considered your teacher and your master and you're following him. You're a disciple. So now you can read it. Do you know, Jeff, what I have done for you? You call me teacher. You call me rabbi. You call me rabboni. You consider me to be one who has something to teach you. You call me teacher and Lord. You call me Karios. You, you call me Adonai in Hebrew. You call me Lord. You see, when you gave your life to Jesus, you said yes to believing on him who provides you with salvation by grace and through faith. You received a gift that resulted in forgiveness of your sins. Jesus is your savior in that sense. But it does not stop there. Far too many people enter into this savior relationship without taking the next step Which is Jesus your Lord? Is he actually your master? Is he able to teach you still? Are you on the road to being more like Jesus? Are you on the road of sanctification? Is Jesus also your Lord? So he says to the disciples, he says, Hey, Jeff, you call me teacher, you say I'm your Lord. And you say, well, for so I am. You see, Jesus can't just be your Savior. He has to also be your Lord. It's not a pick and choose thing. It's not like a little menu where you walk in. Well, I like salvation, but the Lordship thing, forget it. For so I am, he says. If I then, your Lord, notice how he reverses it. If I then, your Lord, he puts it into the first person personal. He said, I am your Lord, in other words. If I then, your Lord and teacher, if I, your master, tell you these things, And I have washed your feet so you also ought to wash one another's feet. You see where he's going with this? saying, look, you you can't say that I'm your Savior. You can't say I'm your Lord. You can't say that I'm your teacher and then become self-absorbed. Selfish. Self-centered. You see, if I'm actually your teacher if I'm your Lord, then what I've done for you, you ought to do for others. In a few chapters, when we get to chapter 17, Jesus is going to make that very clear. Greater love hath no man than this. They would go so far as to lay down one's life for his friends. That someone else's life matters more than your own, that you would pick up your cross and follow him You see, that's the mark of someone who has Jesus as Savior and Lord. If the King of heaven, if the Lord of heaven and earth, if the one who created you, who holds the very breath of your life in his hands, has in a sense gotten on his hands and knees, which he did at the cross, by the way, and washed you and made you white as snow. Amen? That's what happened. If the King of Heaven washed you, then so we ought to be busy dying to ourselves and washing other people's feet. Because it screams Jesus to the world. You see, when I'm self centered and do my own thing and I'm concerned about myself, it doesn't tell people about Jesus. It just says, Jeff is just like everybody else in the world, doesn't know Jesus, because that's what they do. And so Jesus is being very, very, very pointed here. For I have given you an example, verse 15 says, that you should do as I have done for you. Do you notice he basically repeats it in a little different fashion? He says, look, guys, don't miss this. Don't miss this. If I am your Savior, I am your Lord, I'm your teacher, if that's who I am to you, then what I just did for you, you are under obligation to do for others. Because that's what I want to do for them. I want them to know who I am by you being the way you're supposed to be to the rest of the world. That's death to self. That doesn't fly very well in our world, does it? Because we are preoccupied with none other than our own selves. And I don't mean that to be critical. That's humankind. You ask people who they're most concerned about, if you can honestly read what they're saying, they're going to really actually say, well, I'm most worried about me. I'm most concerned about myself. Verse 16, For most assuredly I say to you that a servant... And it really is the word, and I'll explain this in a moment. So please hold in there with me. Because Jesus actually uses a a word here in the original language that actually means slave. And that's a detestable word. I don't actually like using it. But it's so important to the context that we need to understand what Jesus is saying here. Because in that day and time, they would have completely understood when Jesus said, You, I most assuredly say that a douloi, a bond slave, is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. He's saying, I'm willing to die for you. Are you willing to die for me? I put off the glories of heaven to be here with you. And they would have been thinking, well, why would he call himself a bond slave? And we'll get to that in just a second. If you know these things, get this, here it comes. Blessed are you if you actually do them. If they go from head knowledge to heart knowledge to what you do with your hands, to how you live. To the way you conduct yourself in this world. You see, the world needs more people that are willing to die for themselves for the benefit of others. The world needs more, in essence, pictures of Jesus. People who are willing to do exactly what Jesus did, which is to say, I'm done being selfishly preoccupied and I want to do what God's asked me to do. I want to die to myself. I want to die to myself as a, as a husband. I want to die to myself as a wife. I want to die to myself as a father and as a mother. I want to die to myself as a son or a daughter. I want to die to myself as a friend. I want to die to myself as a citizen. I want to be known as someone who's willing and able and desirous to look after the benefit of others more than I look after my own self. Can you imagine what kind of world we would be living in if everyone simply did that. Can you imagine if everyone on the planet was busy trying to out-love and out-serve the person sitting next to them? Whatever you need, let me do that for you. It would be my privilege and my pleasure because that's what Jesus did for me. You see, it's an attitudinal thing. And so Jesus said, blessed or happy is the one who does it, and he does it really in the context of the truth of James 1.22. Be ye therefore a doer of the word, not just a hearer only, deceiving yourself. He's saying to the disciples, guys, we need to do this. What I just did for you in washing the dirt of this world off your feet, you need to now scrub each other. You need to be willing to do the least of the things in this world so that you might win your brother's love and affection and care and concern that they would be convinced of the love that I have for you because it shines in you. You see, that type of behavior people gravitate towards. And so he says, happy is the one who does that. Blessed, highly favored. When we speak of God, it actually means praise to God. Praise to God that Jesus is like this. And what I want to share with you, if you would turn with me for just a moment, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15, and I want to tell you why the word that Jesus is using here for servant, for bond slave, is so important. Because the disciples would have understood it this way. You see, when Jesus said that, he says, Jesus, you're a, you're a douloi." Because here's what they would have understood, verse 12. If your brother a Hebrew man of Deuteronomy 15, and by the way, the first thing said after the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 21 is this very command, how to treat someone who is a bond slave. A Hebrew man or Hebrew woman is sold to you and serves you six years. As heinous as this is, it was heinous then, it's heinous today. Make no mistake, slavery was never good. But they would have understood what Jesus was saying based on understanding this command. And so it's important for us to understand what Jesus was saying when he spoke these words to them. He will work for you six years and in the seventh year you shall let him go. Free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. Supply him liberally from your flock, from your threshing floor, from your wine press, from what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Every last person in here was a slave to sin. Every last person in here was in Egypt, a type of the world. And so the disciples are thinking, he just said that he is like a bond slave amongst us. But the Lord, your God, redeemed you, therefore, and I command you in this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you. Now remember, Jesus has said... I will not go away from you. He said, I am a douloi. This is the definition of a douloi. I will not go away from you because he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do you see where this is going? He loves you and your house, the whole world, And since he prospered you, he's creator God, he's prospered. Jesus is making the connection between himself, who loves you, a former slave to the world, that then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he shall be your servant forever, for also your female servant shall do likewise." He's saying if you really want the proof of someone who's actually a servant of love, then check to see if they've ever been nailed to wood. It's what Jesus did for you. That's why when he makes this picture and he says, look, this is what a bond slave does. He says, do you see what I've done for you? So now imagine when they're nailing Jesus to the cross, what the disciples are thinking. He told us in the upper room that as he washed our feet, he said, voluntarily, I lay down my life for you. And now you voluntarily lay down your life for others. That doesn't sound like the road to happiness to most Americans, I can tell you that. You think? I'm pretty sure you write a book about that. It ain't selling many copies. Oh, that's right. Already did, and it's the best-selling book of all time. Amen? So actually, it does sell in the right crowd. Amen? Amen? Why is this important? Because we live in a society that's in a constant state of seeking to please itself. There's a Chinese proverb that says, if you wish to be happy for an hour, get intoxicated. If you wish to be happy for three days, get married. If you wish to be happy for eight days, kill your pig and eat it. And if you wish to be happy forever, learn to fish. There is no end to the number of things that you can read on the Internet and books that you can buy about how to be happy, and yet Jesus says the road to happiness is through servitude. The road to happiness is you dying to yourself and voluntarily entering into a love relationship that says I am willing even to be pierced through for you. Not like the world's way, is it? Now, I don't know how many of you have ever thought about this, but basically, this is the very thing that Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter 2. That's why Jesus didn't consider it robbery, and again, same word, in verse, verse 7 of Philippians 2, he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a douloi, a bondslave. slave. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what he did for me. That's why when the disciples were on the road and they're arguing together who's going to be the greatest, let him who desires among you to be great to become the servant of absolutely everyone else. You see, from God's perspective, greatness is found in serving. But the world has a little different view than that. You may have not known it, This is the New Scientist magazine's map of world happiness. Now, strangely and oddly enough, you might check this out for yourself. If you notice the very dark red places, that's the really happy places in the world. And then you have the people who are kind of sort of almost happy, those that are kind of like the dark orange and then the, the light, the, kind of the darker yellow, you know, a place like Morocco somewhere like that would be kind of a little bit less happy. And then you have the really unhappy places like Sudan. You notice anything strange about that? It's exactly how wealth is distributed on the face of the earth. Can I tell you that's absolutely not the case? And here's why I know that. Because that map actually also overlays the darkest red has the highest rates of suicide. Highest rates of teen pregnancy. Highest rates of pedophilia. Highest rates of pornography use. Highest rates of bankruptcy. It has the highest rates of every vile thing that you can possibly think of that makes people unhappy. But the world says the more money you have, the more happy you will be. And in fact, that is absolutely not true. And a dear friend has gone home to be with the Lord, Is my assistant pastor up at Calvary Running Springs, was pastoring in South Sudan. And, and he met with a number of tribal elders that came from a village nearby where he was at in Nimale. And he was sharing with me, he was talking to them one afternoon and they got into things about, you know, well, what's it like to be an American? And the guys in South Sudan, one of the poorest places on the face of the earth, said, well, we feel sorry for Americans. Chuck Gunlings is like, what? It's like, you ever been to America compared to here? You know, he's kind of having the usual American response, like, really? You know, I didn't see any McDonald's around here. <laughs> it's surely a sign of wealth and prosperity, right? Who doesn't love a good worm burger? Just kidding. Every once in a while I like to see if you're awake. But he started talking to him. He says, yeah, the reason we feel sorry for you is this. You guys don't own anything. You got a debt on your house. You got a debt on your car. You got debts on your kids. Your kids have debts on their debts. Everyone's in debt. You don't own anything. You only think you're wealthy. You actually have zero net worth. I own that mud hut. You see, the world says it's in the accumulation of stuff. It's not in the accumulation of stuff. Because stuff can't satisfy. Oh, stuff can change a circumstance for a period of time. But you ask somebody who's a billionaire who's dying from cancer, would they rather have the billions of their health? They'll tell you the health 100% of the time. You see, there's a lot of things money can't buy. And in fact, that's why your Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not that it's evil itself, but it leads you to do things and want things that cannot satisfy. And so Jesus gives us this secret to happiness. What is it? What is the king's highway? What is the El Camino Real? Here it is. These first 17 verses. The first thing is humility. Just recognizing, you know what? The world can do without you. It can. We're all disposable. And so when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, we're actually thinking more highly of ourselves than is really even beneficial for our own self. So humility helps you be in the right place. Holiness helps you to live the right kind of life. And happiness comes only through serving other people. And I can prove that to you. You, When you think about the world and its happiness, and I was reading this list of ten things, that was written by Dishpak Chopra, you know, the guru on all things wonderful, frequent guest on Oprah, and you know, of course, that's always a good place to get information. But I was reading this list. Now, mind you, this is from a man who has a net worth of about $80, 90000000 million. He's written over 80 books. 21 of them are New York Times bestsellers. If you go to hear him speak, someone paid him $75,000 for the first hour. And if you buy his products to help you not age over the period of a year, you're going to spend at least $10,000 on face cream. No amount of face cream is fixing this. <laughs> Just saying. But he had his 10 keys to happiness. He said they were gleaned from the world's traditions and wisdom. And I love this one. It's number one listen to your body's wisdom. How he gets paid to say these things. Which expresses itself through signals of comfort and discomfort. So, when choosing a certain behavior, ask your body, How do you feel about this? If your body sends you a signal of physical or emotional distress, watch out. If your body sends a signal of comfort and eagerness, then proceed. Now, here's how this is going to work out for Pastor Jeff more food, less exercise. No work, all vacation. No money and a shopping cart. Why? Because my body loves to be satiated. You know, I go to a buffet. That's okay, I'll have the kale. No, I'm like, give me the fried chicken. I love fried chicken. I'm addicted, actually. I'm trying to quit. No, that's the way your body works, right? You know what I'm saying. You walk into the How many of you guys do this? Your wife is not home. You get to go grocery shopping. Every chip known to man lands in your basket, right? It's not, oh, well, I'll just take these snap peas. Why? Because you like to have what you like. And Jesus says, you could eat all that you want. You could do all that you want. You could have all the money in the world. You could gain everything, Jesus said, and lose your life. So he said, here's the secret to happiness. Forget about all that stuff. Love other people. Serve them. Bless them. Amen? And so he says to him, hey, guys, you get it? Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you know where I'm going? Dr. Viktor Frankl is a uh, world-renowned... Well, he's actually a professor of neurosurgery, but he's also a psychiatrist. Born before the Second World War, he was held in a Nazi concentration camp. His entire family, including his wife and his parents, were killed by the Nazis, and in his book, Search for Man's Meaning he interviewed one of the officers who was responsible for sending his wife off to be killed at Bergen-Belsen. Now, I don't know about you when I think about that. The Holocaust in and of itself is mind-boggling to me. I don't even... I I have a tough time putting that in human terms. And I've been to Dachau, and I have been to Bergen-Belsen, and I've been to the Holocaust Museum both in Washington, D.C. and in Jerusalem. So I have a tough time even understanding this as a pastor. But Dr. Frankel, in, in his book, as he's recounting the stories, he's talking to this guard, he, he began to, to speak in terms that are unfathomable to me. He said, I stood there totally naked as you cut the wedding band off of my finger. He says, You can take away my wife. You can take away my children. You can strip me of my clothes. You can take my freedom. But there's one thing that you cannot take from me, and that's my God given freedom to choose how I respond to what you do. He said, For the first time in my life, I saw this truth, much in the way it's sung about or poets speak about it, as wisdom, obviously, from God he said, the truth is, is that love is the ultimate, the highest goal to which man can aspire. And that the salvation of man can only be through love and in love. And for the first time, I understood why the angels are lost in perpetual contemplation of the infinite glory of God. That even under the most difficult of circumstances, godly happiness transforms our tragedies into triumph." You see, he understood, though he was not a Christian, he was a Jew. And I don't know where he ended his life with the Lord. He understood who God was. And he understood what Jesus was saying. He says, do you get it? Do you understand it? And no matter how you try and please yourself, you'll never be able to please yourself. No one else will be able to please you either. People will always disappoint you. So if you set about your life goals to please other people, you will never lack for opportunity to do that. Brothers and sisters, that is the very reason that we idolize people like, men like, women like Dr. Martin Luther King. He died for what he believed in for the sake of a cause greater than himself. Nelson Mandela, the same thing. Mother Teresa, the same thing. That's why we honor those who rushed into the Twin Towers on 9-11 to give their own lives to save a few others. That's why we think of them in hushed tones of awe, is because they were willing to lay down their own life they counted not their own life dear. That is the greatest and highest good that any person can ever achieve. You can climb no higher up the ladder than servant of all because that's what Jesus did. And he is at the top of the list. That's why in Mark chapter 10, he who among you desires to be great let him let her become the servant of all he says do you get it do you understand what i just did for you i'm trying to tell you it's by serving others That you find this incredible peace that surpasses your own human understanding that guards your heart and your mind in me, in Jesus. That's how this happens. It's by you letting go of you. It's by you humbling yourself. It's by you being on the highway of holiness. It's by you saying, I'm willing to die. It is no longer I who live, it is Christ who lives in me. That's why he says, do you get it? And then he says to them very simply, go do it. Don't just talk about it. Be a doer of the word. Don't be just a hearer. And it's interesting because verse 25, verse 22, be a be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Don't deceive yourself. But verse 25 adds to this. Blessed is the one who does it. You see, we're blessed in the doing of what the word says. And in this case, Jesus says, serve others. Wash people's feet. Care for other people more than you care for yourself. And as hard as that is to fathom for most of us, if you want to be spiritually prospered, this is the sure way to have that happen. Blessing others is the pathway to blessedness. Serving others is the pathway to greatness. Loving others more than you love yourself is the sure way to be loved. And so he says, now go do it. We submit to God the Father. We do what the Word says. We keep our lives as clean as we possibly can. We go to the Jesus Day Spa frequently and often. Amen? I need to be cleaned up. I need to be scrubbed up. But when we're clean, go find somebody's feet to wash. Go love on somebody who's unlovable. Go tend to a need that you didn't create. And in doing so, Jesus says you'll be blessed. Happy is the one who does it. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for sending Jesus to scrub me. Lord, I was such a mess and you washed me. Dirty as I was, you didn't care. It didn't bother you. Matter of fact, you delighted to do it. Because you did lay down your life for me, for us. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to willingly lay down our lives for you. We have counted the cost. And, Lord, we know it's high. But it's no longer we who live, but you live in us. And so, Lord, we want to live lives that testify of that truth. God, help us to be a little less selfish today. Help us to be other-centered. Lord, to see past our own woes and trials and tribulations and see to the needs of others and esteem them more highly than we do ourselves. Lord, we admit to you this is hard. It borders on the impossible but you are the God of the impossible, and so change our hearts. Make us more like you. Make us servants. Thank you for serving us. Now let us serve others. In Jesus' name, amen.